It's Cofield and Company on the road. Saucy Nugs was my choice. Saucy Nugs. I wish they would have waited like three I know. hours because I, I have two drafts tonight yep. and I would have taken them. <laughs> That's Cofield and Company for you. No discipline. It's time for Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. It is Cofield and Company on this Monday, live from the NBA Summer League. Come on down, check it out. If you are in the area, if you're coming down to some of the games, and I see many of you are, it is a packed house down here uh, in both Cox Pavilion and Thomas and Mack Center. Swing on by. We're in the concourse right behind Section 115. Bring you up to date on everything that's going on in the Summer League. If anybody walks by, as is tradition here, we will try to flag them down. I know I was uh, discussing this with uh, our esteemed engineer, Jeff, earlier. I don't know that he'll recognize any celebrities if they walk by or athletes. But if they do, we're going to point them out and you have to run after them and try to get them on here. That's, that's, how we, that's how we roll down here at the NBA Summer League. So much to get into today. So much news in Las Vegas over the weekend. Uh, but first, Willie Ramirez, my company for today on a Hill in the Homies edition of Cofield & Company. How are you doing, sir? What's happening, my friend? Uh, let me ask you this. Who would be better, uh, Jeff, at the uh, noticing celebrities or our buddy Ed Graney at recognizing music? Well, I'll limit it to not celebrities, but NBA players for okay. Jeff. Yeah. yeah. Who told me earlier LeBron is about his limit. Like, he knows LeBron. If LeBron walked by, he might recognize him. Otherwise, not Russell he's got Westbrook? almost. No, probably not. KD? Uh, yeah, Kevin Durant, even? No? My, my All right. Goodness. I'm still going to say that Jeff's better at NBA players yeah. than Ed is at music. Yeah, I would lay that. It's probably a minus 115 favorite. Come back plus it's, 105. It's a long-running game, and I, I'm not sure if Ed has talked about this on the show. I'll, he he uh, talked about it, it this morning. Did he? Yeah. Talked um, about a, he had Case on, and he failed miserably at a rock song. Okay. So I was going to give that impression. So Case is a, a brilliant music guy, Case Kiefer from the Las Vegas Sun, one of my good friends. Really, really good at music. And I was joking with him yesterday about Ed's lack of music knowledge, and I told him that you know, anytime there's a hip hop song and somebody asks Ed who it is, I told them just guess Drake because you're right like half the time. Because even if, if it's not a Drake song, he's, he's like featuring it. on it or like something. He's, he's in like half the songs, especially if they're popular enough to be played at like a sporting event. Yeah. It's almost always going to be Drake. Of course. So he does, he, you know, I, I will, you know, it's a running joke. I'll just walk over to Ed and say, hey, who's this? And he'll just say Drake. And he's right about half the time. Now, I will say yesterday, at the Raiders practice outside, which we'll get into how that went, I walked over to him. There was a Drake song playing. It was a very obvious Drake. It was like Drake just rapping himself. It was very clear it was Drake. And he goes, well, it's not Drake. You wouldn't be asking me. This is a trick question. I'm like, okay, well, it is. And Case heard this, and he goes, are you really this bad at music or is this just like a, a running gag you guys have? And the next three songs, Case asked him, and it was like, and it was this was not hip-hop. Like, this is it's not my era no. But they start going, it was like ACDC, Rolling Stones, and then something else. And Ed was like, I, I have no idea. Well, wasn't... Oh, think, Guns N' Roses. Yeah, Guns was Ro- Paradise City. Yeah, yeah. When was Paradise City? He's he like, was, I have no idea. He was saying on the air that he was explaining that, that something about playing 
playing Allegiant or, or something, and he so he guessed Rolling Stones yeah, yeah. or something. Oh, so, so it was Paradise City, Guns N' Roses. He said, he said, do you know who this is? Ed said he has no idea. And he goes, they're playing Allegiant soon. And he goes, oh, Rolling Stones? Right, because they're coming. But like, Rolling Stones doing Paradise City would actually be pretty funny. Right. I think it would be great. Uh, but, yeah, that is, a, that is our running gig uh, with, with Ed. Uh, so make sure if you guys ever see him in public, ask him. Well, who's playing? Yeah, yeah, ask him who the, who the artist is if there's a song on uh, going on. Well, Drake is not here at Summer League this year. I've seen him in the past yep. here. Mm-hmm. He is, uh, he's not here, at least that I've seen. But a lot of people are. This is, it's, it's cool to have it back. I get, you know, I think, you know, we kind of get spoiled having the Summer League here every year. And we're kind of used to it. And we know what's going on. And, hey, you're going to see every NBA player. You're going to see celebrities. You're going to see... All these people, you're going to see all these people just watching NBA games. I feel like we get spoiled by it, but we didn't have it last year. It is, it's just cool that it's around. Yeah, it's, it's great that it's back. And what's really cool is that there are people here. It's, you know, it's, uh, there, there's a nice packed concourse. The stands that I, I saw yesterday, you, you left uh, where we were covering, which we're going to talk about, a little tease there. But, uh, and you came over here, and you caught Kate Cunningham, and it was a nice crowd. Yeah. Their opening day. So that's the, the good thing is, you know, we're still well deep into this pandemic. But the bottom line is, is, you know, with vaccinations out there and masks and protocols, the, it's, a, it's a great crowd. And people love this event. It's, oh, yeah. It's, you know, it's fantastic. The, the kids love it. Um, there's, you know, it, it, it draws a great basketball crowd. It shows the passion that, you know, that this town has always had since, of course, the Runner Rebel heydays. And. And now, and, and I think that they really look forward to this. The community as a, as a whole, in, in large, you know, um, Adam, you and I have been here. I mean, I've been covering this regularly since 2012. You probably longer since it started. Um, and we've seen the crowds grow. And each year, the last four or five years outside of last year, there have been record crowds. And I know Albert Hall been, and, and Warren, they've been very proud to announce that in, in terms of a record crowd a couple of years ago with the Lakers. I believe it was uh, Lonzo's year, Lonzo and Coos. But um, that's been uh, – and the, the, the great thing is is the guys, the young guys that are playing, once they get done signing the autographs on the concourse, or even the veterans that are going back and forth from Cox Pavilion to the Thomas & Mack, there are some headliners, there are some stars, and they usher them in and out of the tunnel downstairs at the Thomas & Mack. But the guy, even the some of the all-stars and the, and the veterans that go back and forth from the two arenas – they stop and they mingle with the crowd. They have no. They understand that they're going to be questioned, you know, asked for autographs, and they take pictures. And you know, it's maybe a little different this year because of, you know, the masks and the protocol. But that's the great thing, and I think that's what the fans look forward to as much as just looking at the the young players. Yeah, and I think I'll I'll give you the reason why I just I was just talking about how we get spoiled by it, and maybe we, um, you know, we forget uh, because. I was just distracted. I was trying to figure who that was. I just walked by. So it was somebody that I recognized very, very well. See, Jeff, we're in the same boat. I, I don't know who that was, but I do know who it was. Um, it's just cool to, to be down here and see all these folks. But I was leaving last night, and as I was walking out of the gym around 10 o'clock, there was, like, two kids that were so excited and, like, screaming at their dad about how fun it was and who they yeah. saw. And, all, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is a super cool event for kids for kids to just come out and experience this kids who like if you've lived in las vegas your whole life you're a kid you may have never been to an nba game you you know if you've not been out of here because even though we have the the summer league every year we don't have an nba team here 
And these kids were like, this was the coolest thing I've ever done. Thank you so much, Dad. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. This is an unbelievably cool event uh, for a lot of people. So I, I was just, you know, reflecting on that. I ever, every once in a while do have an actual human side. Yeah. It's not, it's not it's common. Rare. We don't see it much. Yeah. But I did, I did have that last night. Maybe it was because I was tired. It was the end of a long day. There was a lot going on. I was like, oh, okay. This there's is only, nice. I think there's probably only two beings in your life that see the human side all the time, and it's probably your dogs. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. You can be vulnerable <laughs> and emotionally available for them. It's weird. It's a TV, weird feeling. TV time. Sure. So, and, you know, uh, you say that, you know, we go, we go back to NBA All-Star uh, from a personal level. It, when the NBA All-Star came here, I remember the fan event that they put on. I believe it was at Mandalay and, uh, and taking my son. You know, he was a lot younger then. And, you know, he, he, he never played basketball. He was too short. You know, he played baseball and did Taekwondo. And, uh, but going to that event and walking around and, again, seeing, seeing some retired veterans. So it's the same vibe here. And, you know, these kids that are 9, 10, 11 that are watching, um, that, that know the LeBrons and the KDs and the Westbrooks and James Harden and so on and so forth, you know, the fact that their fathers or, or their parents, they're out here and they're pointing out these rookies as they get older, get into high school, these, these players are going to be the, the next, this is the future of the NBA. And, I mean, if you look at the, the history of this, this event and who's played in this event, um, there's no doubt that you know these are these are guys that are shaping and molding the future of the NBA. Come let's say 2025, six, seven. So it's a, it's it's definitely an event you want to you know bring the family out to, bring the kids out to. It's 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 always a good time. There's always great action. Um, you know they're showcasing their skills. They're they're trying to make squads. So you're seeing the best. You know um, Memphis a couple of years ago when they won the won it. Um, Remind me, what's the coach's name? Jenkins. Okay. Is it Taylor? Taylor? <laughs> sure, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he decided it was his first year. He decided he wanted to coach the team because with the new, the first, the, the rookies and the second year players, the young core, he wanted to be a part of them as well and, and grow together. And we've seen somewhat of a, a scrappy Memphis team. You know, grow in the last couple of years, and and but I'll never forget that. And they and and he was a great interview. Um, some of the guys that, and and the veterans of that team were so impressed with the fact that he was t- he didn't just want to come here and watch from the stands. He wanted to be a part of it and coach the summer league because you don't see that the regular season coach coaching the the summer league team. Um, that they came out here and sat in on team meetings during their off days, um, and again. That team has somewhat grown to be a little bit of a scrappy team in the Western Conference. So you never know what you're going to see. Yeah. So, you know, Cade Cunningham yesterday make his debut. So saw some other draft picks as well. Uh, we'll get into uh, some of that as the show goes on. Uh, but there was big news in Las Vegas. Uh, the athletic director at UNLV here where we're on campus, Desiree Reed francois leaves, goes to Missouri. We have a lot of that to get to today uh, as the show goes on. But also the Raiders. Their debut in front of fans yesterday. Practice over at Allegiant Stadium. Got a preseason game coming up this week. I'll get into a lot of the observations we made and uh, what we saw out at the practice just in a little bit. But first, breaking news on the Raiders, kind of. And again, don't read too much into this. Just like don't read too much into practices and things like that. 
Don't read too much into the preseason game. But the depth chart was just released for the preseason opener uh, for this Saturday against the Seahawks. And a little bit of a surprise. I mean, I think there's, for the most part, you look at the depth chart, like, okay, all of that makes sense. But one area where I think people might raise their eyebrows, and if you've been following on Twitter, maybe you won't, but I will admit that even though I watch practice every day, I thought this was kind of a, just a rotational thing and not a real thing. But a starter, a first-team linebacker on the strong side, Tanner Muse. Yeah. Tanner Muse, is, uh, he's lined up uh, with uh, Nicholas Morrow and Corey Littleton, who are no surprises. Well, but, means, but means Morrow inside at yes, middle linebacker. At the mic. And Nick Kwiatkowski on the second team, which is a bit surprising. I mean, again, it's the first preseason game depth chart. Don't freak out about this. Don't read into this and say, hey, this is how they're going to start the season. But I think if you would have said Nick Kwiatkowski would not be the starting middle linebacker, even though he struggled last year and the linebacker core wasn't great, you thought they were kind of set with their starters, with Kwiatkowski in the middle and Morrow and Littleton on the outside. Not how they're lining up for the first preseason game. And one of the things that I've been asked um, – when I'm not on the, here, you know, in other, other shows on our sister stations or, or in the morning with Ed, um, is the defense and, and what I thought about Gus Bradley and everything. One thing that I've continuously heard is that, and I've compared it to, is somewhat when we're, we're watching the Golden Knights, right? You, there's four lines that rotate, and there's three pairs of defensemen. And I get the feeling that that's the mindset that Gus Bradley's bringing in and that – you know, you, yes, you have your starters and your key defenders as a whole, but he's bringing in this, this we're all as one unit, and I think we're going to see, like you said, a lot of rotation. And although Morrow's lined up at the mic in the middle, um, there you, you just don't know who's coming in. Kwiatkowski's going to he's going to play. He might play as many snaps or just a few less than Morrow, but the fact well, is prob- that they're, they're going to keep... Probably more, <laughs> considering the starters won't play very much. Well, I'm, well, I'm saying in general. Let's say yeah, yeah. that... I'm just saying... Let's say this was week one. Right. There's going to be rotation uh, more, th- more than we... More than maybe normal, and in, in that's the... Maybe that's just what I'm picking up from Bradley and what some of the guys are talking about. So I don't think that, you know, it's... Yes, it's the labeled starter, but... I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of playing time for the guys that are listed second on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, well, you're an NFL town now, Las Vegas, when the first preseason game depth chart matters, and that's where we're at right now. We'll get into maybe a little more of this, what we see on here. What, you got something else? Well, one thing that stood out, if this is the, if this is the depth chart for uh, week one, one thing that Raiders fans will be happy about is the number one TE is Darren Waller, who has missed five straight practices. Well, and we saw him yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to read too much into that either. I mean, they've still got Daniel Carlson on there, um, who's still on the COVID list. They do well, have he's in brackets. parentheses. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see how that plays out. We'll get into a little bit more yeah. of the depth chart. Uh, also, what we observed yesterday with the practice at Allegiant Stadium – We'll get into some news with the Golden Knights. Uh, Also, with UNLV, a lot of discussion today about where UNLV is in terms of the athletic department and what this next hire will mean. We'll get into that and more as we continue Cofield & Company on a Monday. Nova Home Loans brings you Trending at 3. It's a refi rate at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. It is Cofield and Company here on this Monday live, actually at NBA Summer League out here at Thomas and Mack Center and Cox Pavilion. 
lots of good stuff going on here and got some golden night stuff coming up as well in just a few minutes as uh, our friend ben goats will join us and talk a little bit about that and a little bit about what's going on at the summer league as well willie other news in the nba i have not seen luca around here but he may be here partying at some point oh he's definitely celebrating wherever he's at there's no doubt about that with that contract five with five years 207 Five years, 207. So a little more than $40 million a year. That is a, an impressive amount of money for sure. He earned it. He deserves it. Uh, that's a nice contract to max for a rookie extension for Luka. Uh, other breaking news, Main Street Station reopening. Can't wait. That's exciting. I just wanted to get to that because we have Raider stuff to talk about, but I just saw a tweet about it, so it makes me very happy. Things coming back to normal here. And at the Summer League... Yeah, everybody's being safe, wearing your mask, everything else, but come on down here, enjoy it. It is a good time. I have seen everybody most wearing masks walking by. Well, I've seen yeah. most people. I mean, most people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, been, it's been, I think, very good uh, following of procedures. The governor was here yesterday to remind people what those procedures were. Not the best reaction from the, from the fans when Governor Sislak spoke, but that's okay. He did a good job. Uh, filling people in on what the protocols were and why to, why to follow them. Protocols were also in place yesterday at Allegiant Stadium. That's a professional segue, Willie. Oh, solid. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Raiders got to practice at Allegiant. I mean, I think the first takeaway and the first thing that a lot of the players and, and Coach John Gruden talked about, Gruden talked about it before he's even asked about it, Yeah, was just being in the stadium with fans. Uh, they you know got to play there a little bit last year, but to actually get in there and, and, you know, have the people there yelling and cheering and, you know, being excited about the Raiders on the field, uh, it was a different kind of experience. We got to be on the field to kind of hear the same things the players heard in terms of the fans. I know for some of the sessions they were pumping in crowd noise to, uh, you know, to simulate a lot of the goal line situations, things like that uh, for the Raiders. But um, really just to have the people there I think was cool for the players for sure. They seemed genuinely excited about it. Yeah, and – Creating the game-like atmosphere was, I think, was huge. You know, um, I actually looked up the story that I wrote last year at that time when um, they practiced for the first time at the Legion. I want to say it was like around August 21st or something. And we're just reading the quotes of how they can't wait to get the place packed and so on and so forth. So yesterday wasn't packed um, per team spokesman. It was around 13,000 people in the building. Of course, it holds 61 plus. But simulating a game, doing the introductions, your starting lineups, and bringing them out and doing the third down, which we hear that out at the practice facility. They do that as well. You know, the third down with the fans, that the limited fans that they've had invited out to the practice facility. But, you know, the crowd getting into it as if it was a game and, and the touchdowns that were thrown and, and Foster Moreau really playing to the crowd with the, you know, with the spiking of the ball. I think that that was – you know, was they were living it up. Like you said, they were having fun and engaging. You know, we were right there in front. I mean, we, I think we all moved at the exact same time, had the same movement with our phone when Derek Carr, he, one guy's yelling at him and he's pointing at him and waving and they're getting into it. And then there's kids right there and he um, has a spokesman go over and, you know, he's doing autographs. I mean, I think that was huge. And I think that was you know, a telling point, not just for the fans being able to engage, but the players finally being able to engage. The people that have been out at the facility are invited guests, whoever they may be. But these are, 
you know, now they're actually seeing fans in the stands for the first time at their place, um, you know, and they, they arrived more than a year ago. So it was big for both of them, and I think that was asked how, you know, not just important for the fans but for the team and the coaches to see that. Yeah, for sure, and and I think, you know, there's not a whole lot you can take away. I will say it seemed like the quarterbacks were a little bit fired up yesterday. Yeah. Uh, they all had pretty good practices after uh, the defense had won a couple of practices in a row, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, but I thought, you know, you, you saw the offense definitely juice. Derek Carr came out, as you said, a little bit a little bit of excitement just as he took the field even. Um, it, was, it was interesting to watch, and once again, we saw a couple of standout performers, including – who I think I mean, there's a couple guys that have been the stars of camp. I feel like Foster Moreau has really been a standout player pretty much every single day at training camp. Yeah, I agree. And in one of the things he said during the media availability that I have to wonder if that's what's really stuck with him is what it meant for him to just sit back and observe and watch and listen to and pick the brain of Jason Witten last season. I mean, he was really poignant with the things he said about that and being able to play alongside him because he has come out with such vigor this this camp and looked phenomenal knowing that he's playing behind a top three top four tight end um it doesn't matter to him he is just uh he he's really making a statement in that you don't wish this upon anybody i don't want to speak it into in existence but if anything were to happen to darren waller i'm not saying that foster moreau isn't equal to replace him but darren who he, he's, he's looked <laughs> tremendous um, these first few weeks. And you know what? As we just mentioned before the break, Waller's missed five straight practice. We don't know what's going on, but uh, Gruden said. Nobody's he, worried about it. Nobody's Will. worried about it. Nobody's worried. He's going to be fine. Everything's he's gonna fine. He's going to be okay. No, we will, we will point out, yes, Darren Waller's missed five straight practices. Certainly concerning for everyone if Darren Waller's not there. Uh, I, I will say right now, Whatever hopes you had for the season in terms of playoffs, just stop if he's not there. I don't think there's any worry about that. Listen, Darren Waller did run on the field yesterday. Yeah. Looked fine. I didn't think there was any – there was no limp, nothing like that. He, he ran fine. And as uh, I think we pointed out on the show, and I've tweeted a couple times, while he wasn't practicing the other day, he was in the weight room. We could see him from the field lifting. Right. So if he's lifting and he's jogging fine – Whatever's going on, I wouldn't be too concerned. It could be a very minor tweak of a, somewhere, a joint, a ligament. It could just be anything. The lifting could have coincided with having to work something out, stretch out. You know, it could be anything. It could be a strained quad, and, and he. And so if he's doing legs, he's sort of working the hamstring. You know, he's working the opposite muscle. It could be any any minor tweak, and they're like Gruden said, they're just being careful with him. Um, but he's looked fine. He ran out. He was announced when they did the starting lineups. He had a hoodie under his jersey. He stayed out there. He did an interview with uh, Eric Allen, and with it, they piped in through the public address system. Got the crowd fired up. I think that his conversation with him was touchdown celebrations, and uh, so I, I, there's no doubt in my mind that you know he's going to be fine. I don't yeah. think that, like you said, you you were one of the ones that observed that he was lifting weight, so. He should be okay. They have, you know, obviously trainers are on top of that. Everyone can breathe. Yeah. (laughs) And if not, they got Foster Moreau. That's true. But I think the the dynamic duo, Moreau and Waller, is what they really want this year. That's what they're expecting and hoping for. And uh, like we said, I I think Waller, if it wasn't this point in preseason, probably would be okay. Uh, We'll see how that plays out. But they're not concerned. You shouldn't be concerned. We'll get the latest on uh, Darren Waller, I'm sure, in the next couple of days. 
Uh, but there are other things in the world as well. We hope to have a Golden Knights related guest in a little bit. Stop by that might be in attendance here, possible at the Thomas and Mack Center. But while we're you know while we're waiting for that to potentially happen, the next best thing, Ben Goats from the Las Vegas Review Journal, he'll be with us next. It is Cofield and Company on this Monday down at the NBA Summer League Thomas and Mack Center Cox Pavilion. If you're around. Come stop by, say hello. We're just outside section 114, 115 in the concourse at the Thomson Mack Center. A great time by had by all. Everybody's smiling as they walk by, if you can see their face. Uh, most of them have masks, which is good, uh, but it's fun. It's a, a good event, a good experience, and you can see all kinds of celebrities, including Ben Goats from the Las Vegas Review Journal, is here. And he was around, so he decided to stop by and sit down with us, or I texted him and asked him to come up. Either way. Who's to say? Yeah. It's a mystery. How you doing, sir? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for the lovely intro. I feel so famous here that uh, people are just going to walk up to, you know, the tall guy here and be like, oh, clearly. I was actually going to ask you that. Like, like every year we're down here and we're, we're looking around and anybody that's tall, you're like, oh, who's that guy play for? Have you gotten anybody? Have you signed any autographs or anything? Or somebody's like, who's that guy? See, luckily no one has gone up to the vaguely tall white guy with, like, no discernible muscle mass and be like, that guy's clearly an athlete. I have never had that problem in my life once I got past, like, middle school because I think people would have the thought and then be like, clearly not. This guy, no way. So, luckily, I don't pass for any sort of athletic prowess at this point in my life, which is for the best, you know? I just I just want to be who I am. If If... If Ben was out there yesterday, and as we were walking off, would he have just walked up to somebody and said, "You want, you know, reached up to the kids that were hanging over with the posters yeah. and just walk up, just sign, just." Well, I almost signed a football yesterday. I was like, I don't know why people were like throwing them down. Like, I, I don't know what's going on. Uh, I know that there's also. Uh, well, I was gonna, I was gonna say who it was. I, it's somebody who used to work with us at the RJ that now works in the Raiders organization. Who is just very behind the scenes. She's awesome, love her, but like somebody's like, "Can you sign my ball?" And she's like. I, I would, but I don't want to ruin your ball. Like, what are you? Why are you asking me to sign it? I think people are just so excited to be out there at the football game. They just wanted anybody to sign anything, which was great. Sure, but it hasn't happened for Ben yet, unfortunately. One day, uh, one day we'll get there. I was trying to think of a segue. I can't. Uh, what? Well, here's a segue. Is this? Is Ben? You don't know yeah. what I was going to segue to. So how can you come up with a segue? Well, it's got to be obvious that the fact that if if if, if remember the first year. At City National, the crowd would be out there. I mean, media would be walking out. They'd ask anybody for an autograph. Sure. Then ben would get his uh, get his. Uh, he'd be requested for an autograph for those Golden Knights fans. Okay, that, I mean that's something. It doesn't segue to anything, but it's a professional segue to the Golden. Fi- Knights. It's fine. It is. It, it works. Uh, big big news in Golden Knights land. We have to get into it. Pete DeBoer coaching the Olympic team, possibly as an assistant, of course, to uh, one John Cooper. Uh, it's both big and not big news because obviously it's not official that the NHL is going to the Olympics yet. I would say the fact that Team Canada has gone public with its coaching staff <laughs> is a pretty strong sign that Team Canada thinks like, all right, like things are moving in the right direction here. But it is very funny to like have this big press release if you're Team Canada and just be like, but we actually don't know if this is happening. <laughs> like, look at this great coaching staff. We got John Cooper, back-to-back Stanley Cup champion. Barry Trotz won two of the last three Coach of the Year awards. Bruce Cassidy, they won the President's Trophy last year. Pete DeBoer has, like, this ridiculous record with the Knights. Maybe they'll be together. We don't know. Who's to say? 
obviously a very good opportunity for Pete DeBoer. And I will say, this makes me want the Olympics to happen more. Uh, one, because I'm a just a general hockey fan and watching Olympic hockey with NHL players is fantastic. Do not but, give away my, what I was going to ask about, but go ahead. What's your second one? Well, but two, if you look at Team Canada's goaltending oh, Jeff don't, chart, I was going to get to it. That's, that's, it's very interesting. A certain Vesna Trophy winner <laughs> sticks out on the Team Canada depth chart, and I really hope that uh, John Cooper picks Marc-Andre Fleury, reigning Vesna Trophy winner, to be his starting goaltender for the Olympics if the NHL goes, and then Pete DeBoer right before the gold medal game is like actually john i think we should go with gary price <laughs> and we get the sword picture all over again that's my dream now and that's why i really want these olympics to happen it's awesome i, I want to get into flurry in a second but on the olympics you you think they're going to happen right? i mean the nhl schedule has it yeah they do have a backup schedule just in case they don't have the olympics when do they have to decide though because when they have to implement the other schedule before the season starts yeah, absolutely. You would think because literally, I mean, if the Golden Knights are scheduled to play three games in February right now. Like that is it. There is a huge chunk of that schedule that is just open right now where the majority of their roster is going to be off. I think the NHL, like it's already taken these negotiations with the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, past the point that I think they're comfortable with. Now, like I said, there have been numerous signs over the past couple weeks that it seems like they are inching closer to a deal. Team USA has already named uh, its coach, uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, Mike Sullivan. Obviously now Team Canada has announced its coach. So those are two big federations that have kind of laid the groundwork of like, hey, if we're going, like we got our plan set up. And so, you know, they obviously will have to close, I think, relatively quickly because they're going to need time to plan out camps to get these Olympic guys in, to have some semblance of who might have to be on these rosters if and when the time comes that they're going to Beijing in 2022. But like I said, it just seems like it's moving in the right direction for it to eventually happen. The You mentioned Flurry potentially playing for Team Canada. Now that we've had time to process what's going on, first of all, have your emails slowed down? A little bit. Okay. My Twitter mentions not all the time. <laughs> Anytime I post anything Knights or goalie related, it comes back. But it's, it's, it's a slow trickle now. I mean, now that we've had time to process, like I said, like, what, I guess, how difficult or easy do you think the decision was in retrospect to move on? For the Knights, I think they, I mean, this was relatively well telegraphed from their point of view in terms of they gave Robin Leonard the extension last offseason, five years, extending him well past when Fleury's contract was for less money. They obviously gave him the starting job in the playoffs, uh, not this year, but last year. And there were whispers all offseason of they were going to try to move Marc-Andre Fleury. So I think it was fairly well telegraphed in terms of we think Leonard is our guy for the future moving forward and we're willing to part with Marc-Andre Fleury just because we don't think having those two guys is sustainable salary cap-wise moving forward. Now, I will say, and people have probably heard me say public on airwaves or by podcasts and stuff before, I still didn't believe it was actually going to happen until it happened, just because he's the most popular player in franchise history and will be for likely eons. Uh, he was coming off a Vesna Trophy win like, and literally put up the best numbers of his career at age 36. I mean, that's insane, even for you know modern athlete standards. And so the fact that they actually were willing to pull the trigger and got Bill Foley to sign off on it did surprise me. But it was, I think, made pretty clear that, you know, general manager Kelly McCrimmon and Pete DeBoer had a little bit of wandering eyes of like, 
if we move on from Marc-Andre Fleury, we're going to be okay in net, and we can use that money elsewhere. So in a weird way to sum up what I'm trying to say, I was both surprised and not surprised. I Logically, it made a lot of sense to me. I could track what they were trying to do. Uh, from a less cold, hard, logical standpoint, it still surprised me just because I didn't know whether they would have the actual gumption, for lack of a better word, to pull the trigger on it, even though it made sense. Ben, you covered the team for a few years now. Do you think that, you know, this team was built, you know, the first year of the misfit lo- uh, Misfits and then the next year coming back off the, you know, defending Western Conference, but it's always been built on the chemistry of the locker room. And, of course, Marc-Andre Fleury being the senior guy and sort of that glue and everybody getting sort of feeling that getting to play with a legend and the relationships they that were built, do you think it made it easier to pull that trigger five years in because, or four years in, four or five years, do you think that it was easier to pull the trigger because this really had, we've really gotten past the Golden Knights being an expansion team. We've gotten past that look that they had of the original roster. There's only a few left. Um, they've moved some, They've moved a majority of the guys out. I think there's more sort of new faces than from that original year and then that second season. Did that make it easier in terms of the locker room? And, and they, they're all professionals. They know that business is business. But it may have made it a little more difficult, you know, when they first sort of was thinking about it because there were still a lot of the original guys and they still had that chemistry together. Did that, as, as we moved on, this is no longer that original Golden Knights roster or the look of it. No, these are not, you know, the Golden Misfits anymore. I mean, and that obviously they've been progressing in that direction for some time, but I think removing kind of the face of that and Marc-Andre Fleury officially shifts this into Knights 2.0. But it's just, they've kind of constantly been evolving this roster and kind of their franchise identity over the past couple of years. And this just kind of solidifies that. If we knew it was a big step last year when they named Mark Stone their first ever captain. Obviously, they acquired Alex Petrangelo, who was a Stanley Cup winning captain. I mean, those are two guys that obviously have a lot of locker room experience and cachet. Uh, same with Max Pacioretty, who was a captain in Montreal. And even though he hasn't worn a letter that often for the Golden Knights, you can bet that he can be a voice in the room when things get tough. So it's not like even without Flurry, they're lacking for, you know, veteran voices or guys that can step up or things like that. Now, the one thing I am kind of interested in is without Flurry and Reeves and even uh, Nick Holden, who was, I think, a welcome veteran president in that locker room, they don't have a lot of guys to keep things light, <laughs> keep things, you know, kind of breezy and jokey sometimes when things get tough. I mean, I know sometimes fans uh, don't love it when, like, they prank each other like I remember that uh, Jonathan Marshall so I believe pranked Marc-Andre Fleury on the morning of game seven against Minnesota <laughs> and some people on Twitter were kind of freaking out when I pointed that out but that I think is sometimes a good thing of like they had guys to kind of you know ease the tension and keep it light and not have kind of the pressure of the moment sometimes get to them where they're like coming out of the locker room like squeezing their sticks like oh my god we gotta have this we gotta have this they were able to keep it light and just have fun while doing it, I think that's very important and kind of an underrated thing that you need on a team when you're going to play 82 like physical hockey games. It can't all be life or death for that long of a stretch of time, or else you're just going to burn yourself out real <laughs> quick. And they had guys like Flurry, like Ryan Reeves, and like Nick Holden who could kind of keep the guys loose. And obviously before that, they had Nate Schmidt. Now it's kind of all down to Jonathan Marchessault. Yeah. So I really hope that he's like got a long list of pranks or like team bonding exercises that he can take these guys on because that's one thing that's going to be 
missing, and they'll have you know guys that'll need to fill kind of that specific void in the locker room. But in terms of just overall leadership, obviously they still kind of have it in spades. Yeah, perhaps that'll bring some of it, some of that sort of lightheartedness out of some of these guys and allow them to be you know, a little differently. Um, are there any moves that were not made that you're surprised at? Is there anyone that's still on the roster that you're a little surprised by that you thought, you know, had had some decent value that you thought were going to be playing elsewhere? No one that I'm surprised they did not move so far this year. There's a couple guys that would have made sense um, in terms of, like, you know, potential guys you could move out. Like, Riley Smith is currently in the last year of his deal. They haven't announced an extension for him yet. And so there was some thought... Could that be a guy you move to clear up salary cap space and fill in with some other needs? But if Alex Tuck is going to be on long-term injured reserve to start the year, makes no sense to move Riley Smith. Makes total sense why he's still here. The moves that they didn't make that I am at least uh, somewhat surprised by is just the center position. Because we saw, especially in the Montreal series, where Chandler Stevenson got knocked out for the middle of that, and they're all of a sudden playing guys like Nicholas Waugh or Keegan Colasar or eventually Alex Tuck up at first-line center. And that's just not what you want to be doing in an NHL semifinal series is playing either you know kind of bottom six guys or a true winger in Alex Tuck with your best players uh, or the best forwards in terms of Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty. So they didn't really add a guy that I can see as a clear kind of, I would say, middle six center who could play up with top six guys in case of injury, maybe if you squint, you think Nolan Patrick, you know, the former number two overall pick in 2017, can be that. But obviously in his NHL career so far, we haven't seen it. Now they have time to kind of give him him an audition. They can give Peyton Krebs an audition if they think he can capably play center in the NHL as opposed to potentially moving out to the wing, which is an option for him. He can play all three forward positions pretty capably. Uh, but that was one move that surprised me. Maybe they'll circle back to that at the trade deadline if they have salary cap space and look for, you know, a solid third-line guy that they think could in a pinch or if they need, you know, him to play up because of injuries, suspensions, or what have you, a guy that can move up into their top six at center. Last thing on the nights that I had, are they better today than they were when the season ended? I'm not entirely sure of that. I think they kind of, for the most part, uh, treaded water for now. They've got, like I said, I've got some intriguing pieces to look at in terms of you know nolan patrick maybe there's still some upside there if he can put you know all the injury concerns behind him which would be difficult because he's had a lengthy injury history dating back to when he was a teenager and maybe if evgeny dadnoff uh really gives you a scoring punch especially potentially in the bottom six i think he could help them out a lot on the power play as well in the bumper position because they haven't had a guy that can capably kind of man the middle of their power play like that but in terms of overall talent, until Alex Tuck gets back, which would be like you know in early March potentially, late February, uh, they're not necessarily better. They could be deeper if Tuck comes back and the rest of the roster is healthy uh, at that point. But that's obviously a long ways off, and a lot of things can happen until then. But I also wouldn't say that's necessarily a bad thing for the Knights because as much as it's weird to say like I don't think their roster improved, they were in the NHL semifinals. Uh, last year and the year before that and they were heavy heavy favorites in that series against the montreal canadiens so it's not like they started in a bad place i would say treading water isn't necessarily the worst outcome for them in terms of i think colorado took a pretty decent step back tampa bay obviously because of the salary cap had to take a decent step back the knights are still going to be up there in terms of the stanley cup favorites 
and they still have some flexibility to play with whether Tuck comes back and rounds up that forward group or if he doesn't come back or someone else gets hurt, they'll have some leverage potentially with the cap to add someone else. And they're in a trash division, so that, that helps. Oh, boy, <laughs> is that a stinker. <laughs> that helps Ooh, as well. bad. Uh, follow on Twitter at Ben S. Goats. You can see his summer league coverage today. What are you excited about seeing? I know you weren't expected to be here, so you uh, maybe a crash course in summer league. What are you looking for? Yeah, I'm excited to see. Um, I'm going to write about the Golden State Warriors potentially tonight. I think they're a fascinating team in terms of they've got two timelines now where they've got Steph, Clay, and Draymond still kind of hoping to coalesce together one more time for another run at a title. But now they've got young guys like uh, Kaminga they just drafted with the uh, seventh overall pick. they got Moses Moody. That's kind of forming an interesting second core with James Wiseman, who they drafted second overall a year ago. Uh, and then I've already been impressed with a lot of other teams I've seen here. The New York Knicks, uh, Obi Toppin and Emmanuel Quickly were really impressive to me this morning in the early game, and I'm fascinated to check out some of the other guys here as well. There you go. Check him out on Twitter, see everything he has coming up. Ben S. Goats. Thank you, sir. No problem. Thank you, Big Ben. We'll be back. More Raiders next. It is Cofield and Company down here at NBA Vegas Summer League. Lots of Raiders still to talk about more freaking out about the first depth chart and uh, what we saw yesterday out at Allegiant Stadium. Of course, a whole lot more on the situation with the UNLV Athletics Department. Desiree Reed-Francois leaving for Missouri. Get into not only what her legacy is and what the state of the program is, the Athletics Department, but also who could be next over at UNLV. Uh, We've also got our previews continuing of all the NFL teams in the league. Carolina Panthers are up today. Uh, we'll get into that in just a couple of minutes. A legend just walked by us. Do you know that? Did you know that? Did a legend just see, see that man walking down there with the tan shorts and the dress socks and sneakers? Yeah. That is Jim Allen, legendary Rancho coach, coach of Greg Anthony and 1986 state champs. And Jim is one of the pioneers of AAU basketball in this town. Before there were uh, shoe companies to overtake the summer turn- summer tournaments, and that that were here, him and a coach named John Farrell and Larry McKay and the old crew. But that was Jim Allen that just walked by. And you know what? In the local town, he is a legend. Sure, uh, I saw a legend of college basketball. I mean, maybe not a legend. He's in the midst of a great career as a coach. Uh, just during the commercial break, Dana Altman walked. Yes, by. I did. Coach see of that. coach of Oregon. Yeah, who, uh, that was interesting to see him. Coach, coaches everywhere, players everywhere, people out trying to just just meet, just meet players for whatever reason. Sure, either photographs, autographs, or other why they want to meet why they want to meet players. You never know. One of my favorite aspects of summer league. You know who walked around very um, nonchalantly two years ago in the 2019 summer league, and back and like I said earlier, back and forth from the pavilion to the Thomas and Mac. He was he was approachable. He gave me a quote. Um, what who now I don't know if he could do that. He'd probably be mobbed by kids. Is Trey Trey Young? He was yeah. He was very approachable. Very cool, you know. Most most of the players are uh, that are out here, and mostly because like they know where they're going. They know they're going to summer league. They know there's going to be fans everywhere. Like they wouldn't go if they didn't, you know, if they, if they weren't going to be cool about their time and gracious and yeah. give autographs and that sort of thing. Uh, we also just saw 
I mean, I'll, I'll say it since we saw her. Stormy Montatoni is here. Yeah, she's taken in the sights. Legend of the local broadcasting scene. Absolutely. So maybe we'll see if she can sit down in a little bit and uh, have a conversation about her time with the Golden Knights coming to an end and maybe what's next in her career. Uh, but we're going to continue to track who's out here and let you guys know that we're here at the NBA Vegas Summer League just outside Section 114 and 115 on the Thomas and Max Center Concourse. Stop by if you're down here. If you're not down here, you should get down here. It's an awesome, awesome event. People are enjoying it like crazy. Uh, but for us, we're going to keep things rolling here on Cofield and Company, uh, a Hill and His Homies edition, Willie Ramirez alongside. Chris McLean covers the Charlotte Panthers for WFNZ in Charlotte. He's going to join us next. Tell us all about their upcoming season.